Nostalgia is one of the strongest forces in the human psyche and is responsible for the continued existence of some of our favorite fandoms. From the minds behind the Dole Up and Dreams podcast and Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine, Saturday Morning Confidential takes you on a deep dive into the properties that helped influence the artists and creators of today. So whether you are a Goonie, a Gem Girl, a Digi Destined, or you just want to return to Oz, new episodes release on Fridays bi-weekly starting January 1st of 2021. And join us on the Wednesdays after the main show for the Serial Killer Radio Hour, where we sit down with the people responsible for the toys, shows, and fandoms that you love. Now you can find Saturday Morning Confidential at certainpov.com backslash smcpod or on your favorite podcast platforms. So don't forget to tune in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Emily Martinez. And I'm your other co-host, Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Maddie, hello, my love. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm just freaking dandy because I am, as always, it's always strange to say when you're excited about um, telling one of these stories because... Uh-huh. It's just mm-hmm. like they're always a bit messed up, but like I've been sitting on this information for a better part of a year now. Um, no, probably like, like yeah, a, like a year and change, and um, I'm very ready to bring this story and this information, and it just goes to show what I feel like everything that we're going to talk about today. It just goes to show that like. Anytime that people are like, oh my God, like that's so cute, you do theater, or mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like your little show, or how was play practice, or something like that, I'm like, it just goes to show how um, dangerous our profession truly is, and and um, it's just one small snippet of how um, wildly dangerous of performing used to be compared to what it is now but even today there's just so much danger involved in theater Mm -hmm. in technical work Mm -hmm. um that it's truly hard labor that needs to be consistently um kept up to code and and kept safe because the things that can occur Mm -hmm. are truly Mm -hmm. wild Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what today is all about, and and so so Maddie, I I think today I will would love if you have any insight in your beautiful beautiful brain, um, mm-hmm. because of so many of your expertise in costuming and such, um, that if you have anything to offer, please feel free to because we're really going to talk about different fabrics and um, mm-hmm. and and just intricacies of costuming mm-hmm. um and also it's like social implications to it that like really affect this story um, we love to see it we love it so i would love any expertise because i <laughs> 
I'm, I'm just I'm just game to hear more about it. I love it. I'll, I'll have to crack up my uh, my fabric binder from grad school because <laughs> the one thing I did not take away is, oh, let's talk about fabrics. It's, uh, all right. You we're we're going to jump in. You didn't? Oh, I did. Absolutely. In my one costuming class. <laughs> Listen, this my, bitch. My, my Listen, 16. <laughs> this bitch can thread a sewing machine very, very well. So we love that. Listen, threading a sewing machine, winding a bobbin, they can be difficult things. That bobbin, you you make sure that you make sure that it's a pee. You make Mm -hmm. sure that that little that little comes out a pee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Come on now, mm -hmm. I made. I sure did make a pair of of pajama pants that were hella wonky um, for my senior project and. There's a reason why every school makes everybody take intro to costuming, and I think it's very important. Oh, absolutely. It is very important. Yeah. I wish I had, I wish I even took like intro to sound. Like, there just should be more opportunities, at least at, at our school, Muhlenberg, at the time that I was there. That, well, I'm saying our school. Maddie, Maddie helped. Maddie did not attend Muhlenberg, but spent a good amount of time and left influence there, of you course. Did. Yeah, when I was there in oh, 10 years ago, Ohio. There was one, you, one of your um, requirements was to take costuming. And I think we definitely had to take a scenic design class of some sort. Uh, but there's just so much that I, um, it, whether you're on stage or you're backstage, like, mm-hmm. or you're working the house, like there should be so, there's just so much about uh, theater world and the theater space and, and the intric- the intricacies that go to create a theater and to make it run as a fully functioning mm-hmm. business. Everybody who's involved should know everything about it or at least a taste of it. So I feel like I got a little bit more of an education in that arena that I haven't gotten before when researching a, this topic. A good theater artist is a multifaceted artist. You, it's, Multi-hyphenated. It's, like, it's what I always told my students is being an intersectional human will make your art better and make you a better person so enjoy the take the gen eds that you give a shit about like really look into that course catalog really figure out what you want to do that's why most of my classes ended up being like women's studies and history Mm. along with theater and i figured out where i could double and triple dip you got to be smart about these things if you're going to overachieve be a smart overachiever (laughs) absolutely and if anything i feel like we're continuing that in the podcasting world we are we absolutely are because this is you know something that isn't you know, we don't get to talk about the like, a lot of time you'll maybe talk about adaptation or in grad school, maybe you'll be lucky enough if you get like an adaptation course or you discuss adaptation. But like, this is one of those things. It's like, this is a different kind of adaptation because then you're, you're writing a dramatized version of something that actually happened if it's about a play or in like in this situation, you're compiling the information of historical moments and you're talking mm. dance history theater history costume history and all those things are very important so like m what are you talking about today today i am talking about ballet in the romantic era and how the costumes of ballerinas literally put them to death at times mm-hmm. so here we go um if anyone is squeamish in terms of burns like like fire burns or things like that. Uh, we will be talking about that. I'll give a light content warning when we get closer to it. But um, if that type of 
information is is triggering in any way i would suggest to listen to when it happens and and skip about um because it is a really interesting topic like even like when i was writing i was like Bleh. like that's that doesn't make me feel good yeah let's get into it okay so today my sources are the haunted place blog uh forgotten stories about the continental theater Racked.com about burning dresses history, an article about Miss Clara Webster, who you will learn all about, and an episode of Lore, episode 124, To Die For, which is a great episode. As we all know, as we have said and will say again, theater artists are highly superstitious beings. There is so much out of our control, from what jobs we book, to how long the job will last, to what we look like, to who we are in comparison, to what the casting side wants. Those are just a few of the things that are truly outside of our control, at least on the performance end of it. We hold on to our precious items, our talisman that that give us this magical sense of power and luck. We are an untouchable, uh, at least I am, when I wear my favorite pair of socks or if I go through those specific warm-ups uh, for our vocal show that will make you so on point that... Any illegally taken video would be worthy of sharing on Instagram. <laughs> yes. We I mean, love a slime tutorial. Literally, like, I cannot tell you how part of my goal in life is, like, slightly to be, like, reposted by, like, let's hear it for the choice. Because I'm always like, oh, my God, I feel like I've made it. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, shout out to you, Jimmy Larkin, because your account is amazing. So, I mean, so we have those. We have the biggest superstition of all, which is to never say the Scottish play, lest your production be damned. But there's one superstition among a lot that I would love to talk about over the course of this podcast um, that was not well known to me until I was started researching um, topics about superstitions in theaters. So here it is. Never have three candles lit on stage at the same time. For if you do, the person on stage closest to the shortest candle would be the next to die. Or worse, get married. Dun, dun, dun. I was like, Holy shit, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Get married is worse than death. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I, I have to say my married life is pretty good, but like, you know, I haven't experienced the other yet. Um, Em, is this just your, your excuse to be able to do not getting married today on the podcast? <gasps> I want to do that song so bad. I mean, Matt Doyle's version of it in the revival is... Oh, that's, it's incredible. Incredible. Sorry, keep going, keep going. (laughs) So for whatever reason, um, this superstition was originated because I wasn't able to find the origins of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't do quite a a deep dive into that. And and if those closest to the smallest candle of three was either D-O-A or (laughs) M-A-R-R-I-E-D. Dad jokes, come on. The superstition still has heavy merit to to it. And those who danced a little too close to the flames suffered the most. So our story begins in the 19th century, around 1800 to 1850-ish, during the Romantic era, specifically for the art of dance. It was defined as the era of ballet, where the romanticism of art and literature were a great influence on the style itself. During this time, the most famous theaters uh, for the style of ballet were, and excuse my French, I have no skills in French, so here we go. Théâtre de Académie Royale de Musique um, of the Paris Opera Ballet, 
and Her Majesty's Theatre in London. Romanticism was said to have started with the ballet called La Soufide, starring an Italian ballet dancer named mm-hmm. Marie Taglion- Taglion- Taglioni. Yeah, there we go. Marie Taglioni, who was one of the most celebrated dancers of her era. She was the literal prototype of what we imagine uh, when we think of ballerinas today. Mm-hmm. This is when point shoes became um, popular. Because of the way that the foot would fit into the shoe, it literally altered the way dancers looked on stage. They looked as if they were floating in the air, straighter lines, quote-unquote perfection, weightlessness. You constantly saw softness in rounded arms, tilted upper bodies. The style made women look flowery. They were wilted. They were gentle. Ironically, though, the more gentle and effortless the style looked, the more elaborate and technically challenged the style actually became. And also, like, the more intense the needs of the body would have to go mm-hmm. through to be able to create the effect that the style was demanding. And the plots of many of these ballets were dominated by spirit women, sil- um, sylphs, willis, and ghosts, who enslaved the hearts and senses of mortal men and made it impossible for them to live happily in the real world because women! Um, Their dancing was ethereal, magical, and almost unreal. Costumes, mainly the tutus, uh, even became more romantic. The material used to make these tutus um, now was called tarlatan and gauze, and it was in this open weave fabric that gave them this weightlessness and flowery petal image. They were usually white with multiple layers of tulle that hit below the knee and the bodice of the whole costume was white. These tutus, which we will be talking about at length today, uh, would usually show up in the second act of the ballet where the corps de ballet, which is basically the chorus of dancers, appeared on stage as a way to represent the spiritual realm. Maddie, have you ever have you ever heard about these types of tutus or like um, specifically this era of costuming and and how oh, it would yes. contribute to the art? Yeah, yeah. So during this time with with costume history, specifically um, because uh, ballet came out of the royal courts, and so it was performed kind of recreationally for you know your friends get drunk and you all do Broadway karaoke. No, it's the same thing. They'd yeah. be performed in the courts, and so. <laughs> costumes were elaborate the the shoes were uncomfortable because shoes Mm. of the time were uncomfortable and so this time wasn't too much different except we did see a variation this is when we start seeing where modern fashion influenced the essential design of the costume but Mm. the costumes were different they were made specifically for ballet so you know romantic era think jane austen this is a lot of what we're seeing of those kinds of times of uh but this is still like a bodiced like corseted dress like so you're you're yeah it's flowing and beautiful but you're you're literally still being like forced in within an inch of its life so they are shorter than your typical dress of the time because they show the feet because the footwork is where you're seeing in like this was also when like th- they were developing the point technique so you would, it was really a, a heft to see these these women like going onto their their toes and it is like it took like some movement and some mm. things and so it was also loud uh, yeah, point, shoes are, yeah. uh, point shoes are very loud on on the the thing but you know they're still wearing things that look similar to what you would be seeing worn by the people watching the ballet if you will okay. um those kinds of things yeah. so 
but this is where we really can start to pinpoint ballet specific costumes moving forward through the end of the history but this is also where we start to see dance culturally happening in society um and so like we during this time uh you had people like clara webster um lola montez oh we'll be talking um, about clara webster uh yeah well, and so and marie uh, taglioni one of the most she was the la sylphide like mm. sylphide is still performed often it is still in many ballet companies repertoire it is a beautiful ballet this was also a point where ballet was still being created by men, but the male mm. dancers were not the stars. This was to feature the female dancers as stars. Absolutely. So it's very male gazy. But this is also when we started having troops of touring um, ballet companies and, and those kinds of things. You would see these companies touring to so that, that's that's a little bit about what I know. But the costumes, this is where you really start seeing them deviate from from street clothing or court clothing they would be informed by street clothing but they were made specifically to dance in brilliant that's so much of that is going to be touched on in like a page of my perfect brilliant so another element aside from these beautiful costumes that just like reflected society um that made the romantic era ballet um the actual tits and like everybody was so excited about it were these new stage elements um and stage techniques in theaters that would bring the ambiance of the show and to like its knees and that was called gaslighting now not the gaslighting that we have today but um gaslighting as a form of lighting technique that would um truly set the scene it was defined as production of artificial light from combustion of gaseous fuels such as hydrogen, methane, carbon, monoxide, propane, butane, like all the gases. The light is produced either directly by the flame, generally by using mixes of illuminating gas to increase brightness, and or indirectly with other components such as a gas mantle, the limelight, with the gas primarily functioning as a fuel source, which is like... Just sounds dangerous. Uh, the yeah. use of the gaslight was uh, to give a softer gleam and a mystery on stage. Productions would use these techniques to dim the lights and then be able to use wires and trap doors. And you wouldn't be able to see these elements to create like multiple superstitious or uh, multiple supernatural looking effects on stage. Mm-hmm. Because the lighting was dim, you wouldn't be able to see it and it just all felt really magical. And it, ma- it made the ballet an experience that the audience was fully engulfed in. They were taken away to like another land. Um, However, despite how fucking cool it looked, um, gaslighting would lead to some of the most horrific injuries and deaths on ballet's brightest stars at the time. So let's get a little bit more into this fabric uh, and how uh, it basically related to the gaslights. Since the Industrial Revolution brought on more manufacturing of various materials of fabrics at a higher volume, these tutus were like pretty much being made at like Costco size bulk of the time. Like they were just pumping them out like crazy. They were gauzy. They had a lighter fabric and like I said, produced very often. Um, Not only did these fabrics look amazing in the choreography, but it added, like you were saying how like, you know, it was showing off the feet more because, um, you know, the focus was on the feet and you could hear the feet and like everything just kind of like 
manipulated your eye mm-hmm. to the techniques that were being used by the dancers. It also added a little bit of a desire to like these ethe- already ethereal ballerinas mm-hmm. because since you were able to see more, you were able to see more of the body's mm-hmm. dancers. Uh, so much so that the mystery of the female form was just a little less mysterious and made the men and probably the she's days and non-binary folks like love it as well. Like just like mm-hmm. sitting in their seats going like, oh girl, you cute. Especially the the cis males in the audience that had a lot of money were just like, how close can I get to this stage to watch my favorite dancers? Mm-hmm. I mean, they literally like, I mean, we, we have seen time and time again of, of these people um, losing their minds over an ankle can you imagine seeing an entire hamstring and maybe a little bit of a butt? I mean, come on, hacha matcha. Like, that's what it that's what they were just like loving. So you saw a higher number of men who were coming to the ballet because they thought it was very sexy. And they were able to pay a price to see their favorite dancers. We see yet again, cis cis straight males are ruining it because when a patron would sit closer to the stage. The ballerinas would dance further downstage so that their patron could see them dancing as much as possible. And so they would get basically as close to downstage as they could manage, which also brought them closer to the footlights. And remember, the footlights are being produced and and manipulated by gaslighting. And so that brought them and their tutus much closer to open flames. And since the the fabric itself was a lot lighter, um, that led the tutus to becoming highly susceptible to catching fire. Mm -hmm. And not just catching a little bit of fire. These dresses were practically a sparkler that were ready to go off. And often they they did. When when fires in ballet became a more often occurrence, and this just goes to show like the trash of humanity, um, onlookers kind of would go to the ballet in hopes that they would see an event of fire, which is like wild to me. Cause I'm like, if there's a fire on a stage back then, most likely it was going to be spreading to the rest of the audience. But you know, of course this didn't, the show must go on. Of course, of course. Uh, and this didn't stop the art form from pushing through. If anything, it made ballet more popular because more people were coming to see it. Uh, because there was a high s- statistic at this time of fires occurring that ballets literally adopted the phrase uh, "getting a ticket to the time bomb." It's just so I macabre. So I, it's I so macabre. That. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've literally in our last episode, just like what people did for entertainment. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is not as bad as um, Leo Frank, but like, it, it it just goes to show that people literally will. Um, ambulance chase like i mean i guess we're kind of doing it now by creating entertainment by talking about this but like you know it's it it is wild what people back then especially would do for entertainment so let's talk about some of these ballerinas that um mm-hmm. were of this let's era and experienced this <laughs> we might think now like oh girl you're in danger like take off that costume but like and and just get away from the flames but you see not all ballerinas were famous like our beautiful misty copeland uh, like Christine Daae or hell, not even like Meg Giri. Like these young girls were overworked human beings that were painfully mistreated. Most of the time they were children that were sold into ballet by their parents because their parents needed to make ends meet and they thought their children could um, generate money for them. Sometimes they were sexually exploited and everything is just awful. Um, but for the most part, 
uh, the ballerinas, they never really complained about their living conditions for fear of losing any type of position mm-hmm. and potential financial aid from their creepy patrons that sat way too close uh, for comfort. It, it, which reminds me of, I think this episode's already come out, of um, Evelyn Nesbitt and how the, the many men that were obsessed with her yeah. would literally sit so close and just like stare and drool mm-hmm. over her. So uh, just so you know, it wasn't just a, a, in theater and vaudeville and, and uh, showgirls. It was also happening in the socially acceptable ballets as well. You know, and, and, and the ballerinas, like I said, they wouldn't really complain because they knew their positions in society. They knew that they needed... Um, p- potential financial aid from these from these men, and so a lot hung in the balance of getting the attention of a wealthy man. Literally, their entire lives hung in that balance, and it wasn't always for vanity's sake. It was for literal survival. So, one of a few ballerinas that I want to discuss today is, like you said, and you mentioned her already, Maddie, um, Clara Vestris Webster. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a dancer of the Roy- of the Theatre Royale on Drury Lane in London, in uh in the 1880s. Um, the ballet that she was in, at least that we'll be talking about right now, that refers to this gas uh, gaslight incident, is the Revolt of the Harem. In a, a quote-unquote erotic bath scene, which is like, what does that mean? What was the mm-hmm. bath scene about? Um, Clara's skirt caught fire from a gaslight that was embedded into the bathtub to make it glow. She caught fire on stage and no one helped her. Because they were all wearing similar costumes. And out of fear of the flame catching them, they stood way back. And I mean, rightfully, I don't want to say rightfully so, but like those costumes went up quick. Mm -hmm. Like it was not a slow burn. It was not like stop, drop and roll. It was, there was no time. Clara died a few days later because of the wound she sustained Mm -hmm. during this incident a bit of a content warning um this was written about clara so if you feel like you need to um skip ahead 15 seconds or so uh about kind of her condition and what it what was quoted about this it's a bit gruesome um but it was quoted so i'll give you a second to skip ahead but a quote read the body was so much burnt that when it was put into the costume the flesh in parts came off in the hands of the persons who were lifting it and at the same account, it could not be dressed. So she was so burned. Even post-mortem, she couldn't be dressed. Like, she, I don't know if they just had a, a sheet over her or something, but, like, they couldn't lay her to rest in something that um, embodied her and her personality and her identity because of of what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. So this novelist who wrote this shitty thing is such a dick. But he said this thing about Clara because um, he 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 based other stories and other writings off of Clara's um, incident, and he said this bullshit that he said she would recover, but her beautiful hair had blazed off about her red cheeks, and her pure profile had been disfigured. So it was for the best that she died. Uh, sir. Oh my god. Kindly? Fucking asshole. Fuck right off. off. Yeah, absolutely not. Two fucking words, Maddie. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So now let's move on to the next ballerinas that we want to talk about. The Gale sisters. Their names were Ruth, Cecilia, also known as Zella. Get it? Love that name, Zella. Hannah and Ebiona, also known as 
Edeline, Edeline. They were, um, I believe they were from England or Germany. I want to say England. I don't know why I didn't write that down, but they were not from the U.S., um, but they were performing all over the U.S. and in a ballet, in the ballet version of Shakespeare's The Tempest, and in this specific instance at the Continental Theater in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. William Wheatley, who owned and operated the theater, was just so jazzed and excited to open up this theater with The Tempest as their first production that he wanted to pull out all the stops for a house that would hold about 1,500 people. He made sure his theater had all that good shit that the time required. It had the stars. It had the costumes. It had the effects. So on September 14th, 1861, at the end of Act 1 of The Tempest, there was an intense costume change. Now remember, Act 2 of these productions is usually when we would enter the ethereal Mm -hmm. spirit world with the gauzy costumes that we've been discussing this whole time. So Ruth, Zella, Hannah, and Edeline, and six other dancers run off stage to their dressing room, which is about 50 feet above the stage. And um, to get there, you had to climb this rickety-ass staircase and change in a room of full of gaslights to be able to complete the, the change effectively. <laughs> like, So I'm guessing that they're using gaslights even just to light the rooms that they're in. Of course. So... Um, So Ruth, one of the sisters, had hung her costume above a mirror. And this just makes me go like, oh my God, how many times have I put a costume on one of those like lights on a mirror ring and Mm -hmm. been like, that probably isn't safe. (laughs) Like, like how many times have I done that? I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have put a synthetic wig too close to one of the light bulbs in a dressing room. And there's a big old burn melty mark on that wig or an old costume. Like it's still, well, it's like anytime you go in a dressing room and the moment you turn those lights on, it heats that room up. Cause why have we not turned to LED? Come on. Everyone that has dressing rooms, please just put fucking LED lights in there now, please. Use LED bulbs, do something. Cause they're. You'll replace them once every 10 years. Come on. Exactly. And also, it would be cost effective. Just saying. Yes. Pay us more and less to the rent. Oh, that will never happen. I know. Why that will pay never. artists? And we can't pay artists. No. Just do your <laughs> do your art for free. You should be they'll lucky you have a job. Real, what, they'll think they're real people. What? You can pay your rent? You can buy groceries? Absolutely not. Aren't you supposed to suffer for your art, Mr. Artist? Aren't you supposed to starve? Hey, artist, you got a dollar? (laughs) I thought not. How are you eating avocado toast if you're supposed to be a starving artist? Your honor. Don't don't you walk 150 blocks to the theater? You can't afford the subway, you silly little artist. What, do you take the bus? Uh? With with the other poor people? Oh, you sit next to people on your transit? Mm. Must be hard. <laughs> oh my God, what is life? Um, so Ruth, bless her. Bless, bless your heart, Ruth. She hung up her costume above a mirror. And as she's standing on the settee couch trying to grab it, the bottom of the costume that she's wearing becomes engulfed in flames. And Ruth became a ball of fire. Oh. In her panic, she ran. Because what, like, what? What do you, what else do you do? Like, it's not like they had fire training, like fire training at the time. So she's running, trying to just escape it. It's fight or flight. While she runs, 
she sets the entire room ablaze. All the other costumes set on fire. The other dancers are setting on fire. It's running until she runs into a mirror and gets tons of burns and lacerations from all the glass. Oh, poor thing. I know. Ruth, my gosh. Poor Ruth. Poor all of them because it doesn't get better. Um, The other sisters and the chorus dancers um, had also caught flame and those, even those who didn't, they all plunged out the window. And I don't think it was very high. I don't think it's like the theaters that we see in New York where their dressing rooms are really high up. But like, it was a substantial fall out the window. And it fell to the ground. And, or they would jump, they jumped out the window and fell to the ground and broke what I can only imagine were many bones. And I want to say the Continental Theater, I took this out of the script, but I want to say the Continental Theater had also had a history for like, burning down so i don't know what iteration oh. i know which is also interesting yeah. i'm like oh maybe we should look into that well, that happened a lot in with the english theaters they burned down a lot yeah well this one's in, this one's in philadelphia but philadelphia oh, is sure. also oh. like a spooky yes. town well philly also lots of fires yes lots of, lots of fires that's, that's some old energy there so that might Oof. be an that might be an interesting one to like mm-hmm. look into the continental I'll theater her, i'll add her to the list on the walnut street many of the dancers jump out the window uh, but one ballerina, and I don't know, I, I kind of don't know the configuration of of how she got there or maybe where she was when she first lit on fire. But one ballerina in particular, um, Miss McBride is what she was referred to, uh, was set aflame and she made it down the stairs and ran across the stage with ungodly screams. And it wasn't until she fell into the pit and was put out by was literally like put out by stagehands that she was extinguished of the flames that were on her. And, and, and I, I mean, I would only imagine that when she ran across the stage, she was running across the stage with other people on the stage. Like the, the show had continued, the ballet had continued because it wasn't until that moment that, uh, William Wheatley had realized that something really bad was happening and that it was major because like, I can't imagine that the audience wasn't hearing the screams above Mm -hmm. because the, the dressing room was like right above the stage. So I can't imagine that they weren't hearing this, but like in a lot of the stories that I think we'll be telling where an event happens in a theater, like same thing happened with John Wilkes Booth with, uh, with other shows where something happens in a theater, like, Oh, same thing happened in Evan Nesbitt where it's like, oh, is this part of the show? Like, like, because that's just kind of like the crowd mentality that like, oh, this must be all part of it. But it wasn't until the dancer, Miss McBride, ran across the stage that they were like, oh, something's actually wrong. It was then that William lowered the curtain and and had the audience leave. But this was before... I mean, I don't know if this was before she plunged into the pit. I'm not sure. But by some miracle, no one aside from the poor dancers and probably some of the stagehands were injured or killed. And I also feel like this was kind of before like real um, fire curtains were invented. I Uh, saw that in... Absolutely. So I saw that like in 1873 is when more... Uh, fire protections and and fire curtains were introduced in the U.S. They had been introduced in Europe previously, yes. like I want to say like late late 1700s, but they weren't really brought over here. Um, and I can't imagine that the occurrences that were happening with the gaslights could not have led to that. Like it had to be because well, it's 
it's like now even if you go see any West End show mm-hmm. at intermission, the curtain drops with the fire curtain in case anything happens on stage wow. during intermission. The audience is protected. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Same but entrance, like, I guess. Like because well, it's be- yeah. You don't want to stampede, so no. you can safely and quietly get everybody out that way. Versus if they're watching, a, you know, flames on stage, they're going to either run towards it or run away. Yeah. Or just kind of cause a lot of backup. Can I tell you something? When when I worked on cruise ships, um, we had to do, mul- because a lot of our, for Carnival, a lot of our shows had, um, had pyro. Mm-hmm. And pretty intense pyro too. And our costumes and our, um, our costumes and our freaking hair pieces were very flammable. Like, they were synthetic to the gauze. Yeah, so they were, like, so synthetic and just very easily flammable. And um, so we would have to have multiple, like, fire Mm -hmm. um, protections, like, a month or at least, like, a quarter or whatever. And um, we were expected to, like, basically, like, manage, like, pretend that we were, like, moving audience members out of the theater um, in like a drill type sensation, but like, I'm just like this, we would always be like, well, the, who was it? The, the fire patrol would always go, well, where will you like, where, where do you stand? And it's just like, it doesn't any five seconds of this show. Like I could be in a completely different part of the theater. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's just wild to think that like, at least on cruise ships, we were expected to not only be the performers that we were hired to do, but like the job that we were hired to do, but we were also expected to like crowd control and get people out. It, it just kind of, I feel like with this, what I'm talking about with the ballerinas and that it's like, it's like, well, where's the protection for the performers? Like, what, like, like where's the protection for the crew and, um, and the backstage hands. And like, because I just can't imagine at least with carnival clientele, I just kind of can't imagine like guests being like, thank you so much for leading me out to safety. And you're like, Mm-hmm. practical bra and underwear costume mm-hmm. like I really appreciate you like we would have somehow been broken down for that if that ever had to it happen but it would have been like can we can we can we have a photo really quick can uh, yeah. we take a picture really quick Pre- precisely no, so um back to the fire at the Continental Theater um so within 4 days of this fire between 6 and 9 ballerinas had died including all of the Gale sisters um who had died not only from burn wounds but infections I can't even imagine what that pain without like the proper mm-hmm. pain meds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to ease your passing, like just, just like put me out of my misery. Like couldn't like, two words. Absolutely, absolutely like, not. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um. So although William Wheatley, uh, who owned the theater, wasn't charged for the wrongdoing because this happens so often in theaters, uh-huh. unfortunately. Him and his wife wanted to, for the dancers, and also help them financially. Uh, they wanted to pay for the, med- the medical bills that the ballerinas had sustained and funeral costs, which I think, like, especially for the time, like, that was, like, mm-hmm. above and beyond for mm-hmm. people in the theater industry. Um, and they, they wanted to help as much as they could. And they also created this memorial in Philadelphia, in a Philadelphia cemetery for the lives lost. And this is what the memoriam read. In memoriam, stranger who through the city of the dead with thoughtful soul and feeling heart may tread. Pause here a moment. Those who weep below with careless 
ear ne'er hear ne'er heard a tale of woe four sisters fair and young together rest in saddest slumber on earth's kindly breast torn out of life in one disastrous hour the rose unfolded and the budding flower life did not part them death death will not death may not divide they lived they loved they perished side by side over doom like theater let gentle pity shed the softest tears that mourn the early fled for whom lost child of another land this marble raised by weeping friendship's hand to us to future time remains to tell how even in death they loved each other well which i'm just like wow like they must have had a mm-hmm. they must have had some kind of friendship between them um yeah. the the theater patrons and and uh or the theater owner and the dancers yeah. because like that was that truly feels like above and beyond especially for the time but it just is like well what are the, we keep having these instances like what are the solutions that are forming like what are we doing to figure this out like we couldn't just like let these women burn right like right we have to like think of something to like mm-hmm. make this stop mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the solution that they came up with um and i don't know who it this is probably some of the research i should have done um but i don't know <laughs> who came up with this solution but Basically, um, a chemical compound was created to mm-hmm. help these costumes become a little bit more flame retardant. So the mixture of tungstate of soda and sulfate of ammonia was used to attempt to make these fireproof. But this chemical compound used to treat the dresses made the fabric stiff and drab mm-hmm. and just like not cute anymore. The costumes that made the made these ballets what they were were now safer but they just let look so much less appealing that not only were the dancers pissed off at this but the men they were trying to get um were becoming less um enthralled by the dancers and they were losing money from this they were losing that cash money flow that like they were getting from their patrons mm-hmm. so the dancers had two choices to be safe and look drab on stage and not have the affections of a very rich man who could provide for that dancer or put their fingers in their ears and just hope that they weren't the next one to catch on fire. And it was like truly those were the options that they had. And also, not only were those the only two options, but the decision was not put on the establishment. The decisions were put on the dancers individually. So... They were basically made to feel shitty and dumb if they chose mm-hmm. to go through with this hassle of safety. Like, imagine, like, a core of uh, six to eight dancers and the majority of them wearing the ethereal look and risking it and, like, two or three dancers, like, having these stiff-ass, like, mm-hmm. tutus, like, that would throw off the entire aesthetic of the show because not mm-hmm. everybody's uniform. And... And that's kind of, it, it kind of felt like this like locker room banter of like, wow, you're really going to like bring the whole show down because you're scared of a little bit of fire. Like it just felt like that was, that was the mentality. And also that shouldn't have been put on the dancers to choose. That should have been a decision made by the theaters. It was like, well, you don't want to take the safety mm-hmm. precautions then you don't have to be in the show. Now, would I be, would I take a safety precaution? I would like to think I would, but I don't know. I don't know. Back yeah. then I may have been like, <laughs> I want to look cute. Um, and I also need money from a patron. But there was one such ballerina, um, and I'm sure there were many ballerinas, but this one that we'll be talking about specifically who chose 
uh, the style of the, the look over the function was Emma Livery. She was considered the last great star of the Paris Opera Ballet from her, de- from her debut in 1858 until her death in 1863. Spoiler alert, things are not going to go well for Emma here. Um, so Emma fought fiercely against the new rules of the fire-resistant costumes. She was determined to follow in the point shoes of her predecessors. Another dad joke, I got it in. Um, Emma was offered... Emma was offered the flame retardant costumes, but she just straight up refused to wear them um, because she felt like the art and the style of the show was being compromised by these safety measures. On November 15th, 1862, while she was rehearsing, not doing a show, but rehearsing for a ballet opera, uh, La Mouette de Portia. Sorry if that's wrong, and that made your ears twinge. Um, Emma was sitting on the floor, and she realized she didn't want to crush the fabric of the tutu. She wasn't even dancing, okay? Let's just say that. Um, and so she went to 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 kind of like save the integrity of the tutu and not like wrinkle it or anything. She wanted she went to raise the tutu above her head, and the gust of air she created by just trying to raise the tutu above her head was just enough to bounce a flame from a nearby gaslight onto her dress, and she became a ball of flame in seconds. It was said that the blaze was three times her height. Emma ran across the stage multiple times before she was able to be put out. Now, it just goes to show that, like, you could literally be sitting and catch on fire. You didn't even need to be doing Mm. fuete turns downstage. Like, it could be easy as just sitting there. And she suffered burns of 40% of over 40% of her body. And her corset, corset literally melted into her flesh. Um, and, and in an effort to help her with her pain um, of the burns, people put makeup grease onto her wounds to uh, try to alleviate pain. But uh, that did not work at all. And it actually contributed to the infection that she re- yep. she got. I like I can't even. My body just like starts like convulsing when I think about what that type of pain yep. could have been. Mm-hmm. So she was in recovery for this incident for eight months, but ended up dying on July twenty sixth, eighteen sixty three, at twenty one years old of um, septicemia. Um, which was a blood poisoning, especially uh, that was caused by bacteria or other toxins. It's what we would call now septic shock. Okay, yeah. Essentially. That, that's yeah, what yeah. makes, yeah, that's what I thought it was. Um, but even in her recovery and her healing, she said this, which like kind of makes her like, kind of makes her like really like iconic to me in a way, but it's problematic that I think she's iconic in this moment because she goes, yes. They, meaning the costumes, are, as you say, less dangerous now. But should I ever return to the stage, I would never think of wearing them. They are so ugly. Like, I mean, kind of iconic. It's like awful, but it's kind of like, she's a G. Um, (laughs) But uh, although that seems like it's vanity, which it is, partially to an extent, like she also knew that the social implications of what being a ballerina was... Uh-huh. And and it may have been strictly vanity for most 
for some of the ballerinas. But again, it was, what did you have to do to survive in this arena? And there was no right choice for these girls to make. Be killed doing something you loved and were good at or starve on the cold streets in poverty. I, I think that's probably a sweeping accusation, but like I'm freaking making it. So after Emma's death, um, there were change, more changes to the theaters. Not only were um, more flame retardant um, curtains brought in uh, years later, but wet blankets were put backstage and gas lamps were finally um, being redesigned to be, you know, less lethal. Um, I don't know why that couldn't have been done before. Maybe there was something about losing like the last great star. Um, but finally someone had created a way to make, make them less lethal, which is like, that, well, that's great. So what are my thoughts on this whole thing? Well, it's wild that it even happened. Um, but I guess inventions occurred and, and mm-hmm. they had to figure out what they were going to do. But um, instead, you know, I just think instead of making the ballerinas and the performers make the choice that there should have been mandates either from the local governments who were experiencing Mm -hmm. these fires um, or from the theaters themselves to be more to just make the choices for them or to give them more precautions from the theater to create a safe environment. But obviously back then, um, safety was just not a number one priority and it's much more of a priority now, even though things are still not great. You know, it's still difficult mm-hmm. to advocate for yourself and your safety without feeling like a burden in, ther- in therapy, I almost said. Um, without feeling like a burden in theater today. Um, come on, equity. Get get it together. Like, make it so it's not that difficult mm-hmm. to, like, advocate for yourself. But, um, you know, without a healthy um, cast and crew of a show, there is no show. So... I mm-hmm. think safety is probably the most important thing that a theater should have. And um, that are just some, those are just some of the tales of the ballet fires during the Romantic era. Mm. And so, Maddie, I got to ask you, like, what are your thoughts? So, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's also why we have unions now. Yes. Like, these are the moments of, like, why, because, like, in most theatrical productions, I have anyone in equity in them or an equity stage manager. If there is even a, cigarette lighter that's lit on stage technically we have to make all of the costumes that are in that scene flame retardant Mm. we technically are supposed to make them all or make sure we're using fabrics that are but it's also why like while man-made fabrics are problematic in many ways because of like the chemical processes Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about some of them is they don't catch fire now they do melt but like they can't conduct a flame, mm. which is super helpful. So like, good luck <laughs> that the, those 1970s protections, good luck getting them to catch fire. Cause they wouldn't have, <laughs> um, you know, but it is also this thing. It's why the tutus started getting shorter after that. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, yeah, that's why, yeah. that's why they are, that's why they are flat discs in many ways. Now. I mean, that's also cause of the evolution of dance. Um, but it's also why like, 
you know, it, it could have been simple as like putting glass fixtures over all of the gaslight. Like mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it's like you don't need the oxygen. So why couldn't it have been a bulb of gas or, you know, those kinds of things that we, we continue to make things go further. Also, because like these things were happening in people's homes because those things were in people's homes. So also like if the flame, if the flame went out but the gas was still entering the building, the building could have burned up. Like there were all yeah. these things that like this affects so much more. And I like, I get it because aesthetically in dance, you want the thing that is going to move the most beautiful with the costume. Yeah. But like now most of the fabrics that I would have ever put on, uh, you know, dancers and stuff, there's not a bit of like natural fiber in them. <laughs> Because that's a beautiful thing. The things that like silk that moves so beautifully, we mm. have alternatives now that move just as beautifully. Or like in contemporary dance or legal dance, things like power mesh and things look like skin. They look solid, but they move so beautifully. Yeah. So it is one of those things that like it, you know, or it's like we don't, you know, you don't have dancers dancing in boned corsets now for the same reason. Like it all evolves for a reason, and but it shouldn't have taken we shouldn't be like 150 years past this right and still be having issues i mean the idea that point is beautiful but like the fact that it makes a dancer render her dance pointless after like 5 to 10 years of being on point that you're past your prime at 25 or 30 like it's just those things that like it's so insane and just shows how much that like we've created the toxic cult following that lets artists be like oh yeah absolutely i'm gonna suffer for my art i would rather do this thing than you know it's just one of those things that it's just crazy but it also makes so much sense i mean you know we were still having makeup that was making people sick until the 1900s like it's you know literally poisoning ourselves (laughs) literally it's those things but like we have to talk about them one because it's an important part of dance history. It's an important part of theater history yes. as a a whole, and it all contributes to like why we changed everything towards what has made it better. Like, absolutely, you know, yeah. I think you did a beautiful job with that. Thank you so much, Maddie. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what we'll be talking about in our next episode? Do we know that yet? Oh, I would love to, M. We're entering our first two episodes where we talk about flop musicals. Are, are we entering our flop era? Uh, <laughs> I've always in a flop area because I've always got that flop sweat. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, I live in Florida. Yeah. So next week I will, or the next episode, I will be talking about the killer run of the original production of Carrie that lasted three performances on Broadway. And just to get people excited, you will be talking about the disastrous musical that never got to happen on Broadway and burned like Manderley ahead of time. Wow, I'm just always talking about fires, aren't I? You are, but you're talking about Rebecca, which is one of my favorite novels and one of my favorite movies. So I'm like, and I've listened, I've watched so many slime tutorials of that German production. I'm so excited for us to bring this idea of like, you know, the chilling true stories of Broadway are that like the people making the shows aren't, don't always have our best intentions at hand. Nope. And, uh, uh, 
just to look forward, if you like these two, we're going to wrap the year up with Starlight Express and Spider-Man. So uh, they'll be the next two uh, ones that we talk about in December. It'll be a while before we get to them. But, you know, things other than just doom and gloom. Hey, friends. Hey. How you doing? Good. Oh, Great. God. Quite okay. well. We're, we already have to start this teaser over. This is intense. What? No, it's good. No, it is good. You said high energy. Here it is. The <laughs> highest of energies. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. That's right. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is our teaser trailer. Do you feel teased? We want you to join us. We cover playwrights and we also do bonus episodes. We talk about movies. Mm-hmm. We talk about musicals that we like. Uh-huh. We talk about movie musicals. Sometimes we talk about scary directors that freak CJ out. Yeah. That's right. We dig into trauma <laughs> points in the theater world and community. Yeah. We just want new friends. We want new community. Please join us. And we absolutely love spotlighting the Los Angeles theater scene, a scene that we don't think gets enough love, but that has some incredible, beautiful, burgeoning theaters and people amongst it. And we're just proud to be part of that community. So it's better than New York, I'm saying. (laughs) But we, I don't know about that. New York listeners, please join us too, because we also talk a lot about Broadway and the money-grubbing bullshit behind it. But we love you all, and we'll see you some other time. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Peace. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. <laughs>